this morning I, I, I preemptively asked Carter to uh, come speak today because I had a bunch of dental work today uh, this week and I didn't know if I'd be able to speak. Uh, next Sunday I will be finishing up what I started last week on covenant relationships and family. But you're going to be blessed today uh, with this great word and I'm super excited to have him here today. We love Carter. Come on, let's give him a big hand. church glad to be with you in this place today uh, we're, we're talking today about the Word of God how important it is to know the scripture read your scripture take notes journal meditate on it chase down verses from the margins and see what else God has to say about a particular word you found in a verse you liked, and learning how to study, spend time alone, and receive from God. We're going to talk about that. First, I want to tell you that a few years ago, I went to a conference. Uh, it's not a Bible conference. It was the State Human Resource Managers Conference, their annual conference of the year, and I went with a company I worked for, and we were a vendor, and so all the vendors had their tables and booths set up, and when the HR personnel went off for their uh, conference meetings to listen to their lecturers, we vendors would goof off in the aisles and the hallways and visit with each other and meet each other and swap little freebies that everybody had at their table. Well, I met this guy who came up to me. Uh, somehow we got talking, and he told me that the Bible is pretty good, but there's a bunch of problems in the Bible that are all fixed by this ancient document that had been lost to all of creation, but had recently been found. And this ancient document sets everything straight. And it was the craziest, weirdest thing, the kind of thing you'd figure you'd hear on the internet. And this guy believed in this very strange teaching that turned the notion of Jesus and Scripture upside down, twisted it up, and he was an authority on it. His colleague came up to me later and said, yeah, you know what they call him? They call him the Bayou Messiah. He's the Messiah down on the Bayou, and he's, everybody's kind of concerned about him. But more, he was confident. All of you have met people like that. You might have relatives like that who think they've got new teaching and instruction for you. Let me help you settle this in your heart. Ancient documents that we have Scripture from, all the ancient writings of the apostles, John, Peter, Paul, the documents that now make up our New Testament all of that, picture a big uh, silo from a farm. Picture this tall silo. At the bottom is Jesus and the prophets and the apostles and their teaching. We have ancient documents that actually tell us the name of a man who John discipled. John, who wrote the Gospel of John and the book of Revelation. John discipled a man named Irenaeus. And we have documents that show that. We've met this man in ancient history named Irenaeus who claims John discipled him. Then we have the next documents that tell us Irenaeus discipled a man named Polycarp. And Polycarp was an influential Bible teacher in Ephesus and the area. And we have documentation of this. We know two people that John discipled and that influence. So John discipling Irenaeus who disciples Polycarp and gets us to about 150 AD which is 120 years after Jesus died and we already have an establishment that those who walked with the disciples were continuing to teach their words that Jesus had given them. And so in this silo for 2,000 years on top of one another, our theology's been laid down, our understanding of Scripture, 
the no, all teaching on the Holy Spirit, on the deity of Christ, on the Trinity, on the church, on justification by faith, all that teaching has been coming up through all the years in the silo. And we stand on the shoulders of all these great teachers, and here in this church, we're a part of that silo. Now, in the 1900s, the silo shifted a little bit, and a bunch of grain went this way, and a bunch went that way, when the Holy Spirit came into a street called Azusa Street in Los Angeles. And life shifted, but inside the silo, the charismatic movement was birthed, of which now we are a part of that. And I grew up on the other side with all those other grains. <laughs> I grew up not believing anything about what you charismatics taught, thought you all were crazy, and uh, you'll get straightened out if we can just get more Bible in you, until God met me in my desperate emptiness and loneliness and sent a man who had a word for me, and slowly I discovered, wow, the Holy Spirit's doing things I didn't know, and I shifted over to that side of the silo. But in the silo, we are still teaching, believing, and continuing to preach the same things from the first century to today, the evangelical, orthodox Christian faith. The Bayou Messiah has nothing for us. And when you meet them, you can disregard them. Even if you can't argue with them, you just say, hey... <laughs> Pardon me, but I think I'll keep on believing the Orthodox Christian faith that's been passed down from Jesus, the apostles, and the early church fathers. I'm good right there. Good luck with your ministry. So, let's talk about the Word of God. Why would God send a love letter to us that's lasted all these years, it's never been changed, why has this book come down to us? What is the purpose of this book? Well, you could figure out what I'm about to read is something you could come up with off the top of your head. The goal of Scripture is to bring us into an ever-growing relationship with the author of this book. To come into an ever-increasing, growing relationship with Him and allow Him to transform us as we... Share the life that He gave us. The God who has eternal life has given you that eternal life. And life to life, spirit to spirit, we share a love letter with each other in which He teaches and instructs and guides and transforms us. And that's what I want to show you this morning. We all know that when Jesus was confronted by Satan in the wilderness... Three times Jesus came back at him and pushed back, quoting Deuteronomy. And one of those quotes is, Man shall not live by bread alone. That means you do eat bread. It's just not bread alone. But you eat by and survive by and live by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Jesus showed us on that day when you have difficult circumstances and when you think someone's even coming against you, this is your bread for that time. You go here. Don't run to a speaker. Don't run to a conference. Don't jump on a plane and fly across the country to go here. Pastor so-and-so and his wife, who are the greatest sensation, unless you have time, <laughs> go home and get into the Word and let the Word of God, which He has given to us, and He has said, this is what you will live with. Then read it and read it and read it some more. Now, the verse that all of us learned growing up when we got discipled and trained and people came into our lives to teach us how to live the Christian life and how to understand Scripture, they took us to this next verse that I want to show you because you newbies need to see it. If you're a newcomer and you're new with the Bible, you're new with Christ, you need to see this verse. You need to know it too. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 says, All Scripture is inspired by God. It's profitable for teaching you, for reproving you, 
then correcting you, and then training you in righteousness so that you, the man and the woman of God, may be adequately equipped for every good work. That's a great verse. If you're a newbie and you've never seen that, underline that. Write it down and go home and underline it in your Bible. That is the greatest verse to understand. God's Word came like right out of His breath when it says, All Scripture is inspired. That word inspired appears only one time in the New Testament and probably doesn't appear very much else anywhere in ancient literature. It's a word that basically says God breathed right out of His mouth the very words of Scripture. All these Scriptures were written by men. Think of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Uh, Paul and James and John, all, all their writing, as they sat down to write, God was breathing so that he superintended that what they wrote was exactly the words he had in mind. And through their education, through their personalities, through whatever it was they brought to the table, the Holy Spirit breathed out through them so that they wrote what God wanted. He superintended the fashioning and creation of this book for the purpose that he had in mind to lead us into a relationship with him. So that's the first thing. The purpose of the word of God is to help us in our relationship with him. Secondly, the word of God actually birthed your faith. If you came to believe in God and you were hearing a preacher preach somewhere and you found yourself coming down to the front to pray and receive Christ as your Savior, where you did that, when you did that, in what circumstance you did that, it was built upon the Word of God. It was the preaching of the Word of God. You can get a history book and discover that a man lived once named Jesus of Nazareth. You can find that in a history book. You can find in a history book that he died on a cross in outside Jerusalem. You can find in a history book, they will say, some of his followers believe he resurrected from the dead. They won't teach it as history, but they'll say his followers believe it. So we could find out Jesus died, but how would you know he died for your sins? How would you know that? You wouldn't know that except the Word. How would you know He resurrected? But the Spirit says it, and your Holy Spirit inside you confirms it. So I want to look at a verse in 1 Peter. If you're fast with your fingers, 1 Peter is back after Hebrews. And James, 1 Peter 1, verse 3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His great mercy has caused us to be born again. You see the word there? He has caused us to be born again. You did not cause yourself to be born again. You did not hear a preacher and preach say to you, hey, would you like to accept Christ? And you thought, yeah, that's probably a good idea. I think I'll accept Christ today. You may have thought you were doing that. You may have thought it was as simple as that, but you need to understand God was orchestrating everything and you found yourself in that building on that day receiving from the Holy Spirit and you were caused. He moved upon you to believe. Now, he says that in verse 3. Then when you jump to verse 23, he brings it up again. He says, For you have been born again, not of a seed, which is perishable. All right, so he's giving us the idea. There was a seed planted in you that caused you to be born again. There, you were born again, not with a seed which is perishable, but imperishable. That is, through the living and abiding Word of God. The Word of God. The Word of God. This became the seed that was planted in your heart. Not the whole thing, but the emphasis of the gospel. A seed in your heart that gave birth to your faith. And you realize, I'm trusting Jesus. I'm trusting Jesus. I found a Savior. And you realize, I got here because... 
God moved me. God brought me. God planted in me. God caused it to happen. All glory is to God. When we get to heaven, we won't be bragging about how brilliant we were to believe in Jesus. We will get to heaven and say, wow, you're here too. <laughs> That's the first thing we'll say. Then we'll worship the Lord. <laughs> so the Word of God actually births you into the kingdom of God. Now this is important for us around here because we are pursuing His presence. We emphasize presence here. That's why Sunday mornings here are so rich than any other church I've been in because we're pursuing it. We're looking for it. We're praying for it to happen. We have gifted musicians who can lead us into it. So presence comes from worship. In the Psalms, King James Version translation says, God inhabits the praises of His people. So, if we can get you to praise, we'll have the opportunity for God inhabiting your praise. Your praise comes out of your mouth, but it actually started in your heart. So, it rose up. By the time it came out of your mouth, God's already filling it with Himself. He's enjoying it. You're enjoying it. And we're experiencing His presence. Well, the second place you can experience His presence is when you open up Scripture and begin to read it. Because He is the author of your faith. He's the finisher of your faith. He meets you in here. There's been a couple of times in life when I have prayed about a situation and I didn't know what to do and I cried out to God in silent prayer to show me and he said to me, meet me in my word. He didn't say run outside and find a rock and there'll be a word written on it. He said, meet me in my word. He didn't say, call the, the Bayou Messiah, he'll have a word. He said, meet me in my word. So are you wrestling with something? Put your praise music on, get your Bible out, and sit before it. I can remember clearly one time I went, I went touring after college with 46 men on a bus. 46 men in a bus, young men, 18 to 22-year-old guys. We were traveling together. We were in a singing group together. And golly, after about three weeks out with these guys, you were sick of being around them. And I remember one morning on the bus, I just wanted to be alone. And I opened the book to Romans 5. And I remember I kind of read a couple of verses. And then I just went into the a sleepy trance. And I just sat there with the word open. I wasn't even reading anything. I just had it open. And in the presence of his open word, I can remember I fellowshiped in, a, in sort of a sleep-like reflection time on some issues in Romans 5 that God just began to download and teach me. And it was sweet and it was good. And it wasn't that I studied so hard. It just simply, I opened up the word because this word is powerful. This is not any book. This is the, the breath of God. No one else can write a book that is the breath of God. They might write a clever poem and a beautiful poem and put it in Christian digest and say the Holy Spirit inspired it. That's fine, but that's another word. That's another word for inspiration. This is the word that says it's the very breath of God. And it birthed your faith. After it births your faith, the next thing it does, it grows your faith. Let's look over at James chapter 1, verse 21 and 22. James 1 says, I'm going to skip down to the middle of verse 21. In humility, receive the word implanted. Now, some of you know there's, the Greek word is logos. This is logos. Receive the written word, the logos. Receive it implanted. Implanted. It's a farming term. How do you grow something? You take a seed and plant it. You implant it in the ground and it brings forth life. Where is the life? It's already in the seed. 
You just have to get the seed. That's why Jesus one time said, unless a seed is planted, it'll bring, it won't bring forth life. Yeah, you plant a seed in the ground, and it already has the life in it. And the moisture and the chemical nutrients will break down the hardness of that seed, and the life that's already there will come forth. What do we already have in us? The seed, the implanted word, which is the life of God himself. He is there in us, and he wants to bring forth his life, and he uses the word to bring that forth. So, in humility, receive the word, the Logos, receive it implanted, which is able to save your souls. Save is the Greek word. Sozo. <laughs> okay. Well, you got two Greek words this morning. Logos, the written word. Sozo is the second word for salvation. When you were caused to be born again, the writers used a different word for save. Here, writing to Christians, James tells them, we need now to save your soul. Your spirit has been born again. Your spirit has already been caused to be born again by a seed implanted in it, but it's now your soul. Your soul needs to be saved. Not in the same kind of born again, but saved by being transformed, being healed, being delivered, being comforted from pain, being, uh, being healed by driving out shame from your soul. You, we need to save your soul. How will we do it? We will implant the Logos Word of God. We will plant it in there, and it will save your souls. That's why you should be then a doer of the word and not a hearer only, as he says in the next verse. Next, flip over to 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 2 says, we'll start at the sentence in verse 1, Therefore, putting aside all malice and all guile and hypocrisy and envy and slander, Put all that away. You used to walk in that. Now, like a newborn babe, long for the pure milk of the word that by it you may grow in respect to your salvation. You got saved in the spirit. Now, receive the word implanted and let it begin to grow in you. Long for it like a baby longs for milk. A newborn baby of which we have exhibit A on the front row, a newborn baby. This newborn baby does, does not eat steak, does not eat baked potatoes, does not eat green beans. Isn't it interesting? Mom eats those and they turn into milk. Yeah, you want more milk? Okay, then eat steak, baked potato, green beans, and it'll turn into milk. Don't drink more milk to get milk. You eat substantive stuff eats solid word but he says to us just like that baby longs for milk gotta have milk she can't have anything else right now be like that be like that so we read this scripture like a newborn babe long for the pure milk of the word and you might sit here and think oh, yeah, I just need to do that. I need to long. Yeah, I'm going to long. Yeah, I'm going to long longingly. Tomorrow I'm going to get up and long. And you can't, can you? Longing for it will last about three days, and that'll be as long as your longing goes. So I wish that were who I was. I wish I longed like that. You might be saying, gosh, I wish I longed like that. So here's what you do. You put that scripture out before you and God and say, God, you would like me to long for your Logos word like a newborn babe longs for milk. Right now, that's not in me. But I'm willing to be changed if you will change me and you can make me a longer who longs for your word. 
and then do nothing. What? Do nothing. Oh, I should set my alarm clock to get up earlier tomorrow. Ah, do nothing. Do nothing. You tell him I'm willing to be changed if you'll change me so that I live this verse you want me to. Pray it and tell him you're willing to be changed. And then do nothing. You wait for the grace of God to blow through your heart, move upon you. He caused you to get born again. He'll cause you to be a newborn babe longing for his word. He'll cause it. He'll bring it about. Get on your knees and pray for it. Then if you have to go to school or have to go to work, you get up and say, well, I've got to go to work. But while my body and soul go to work, my spirit is still here on my knees asking you to make me long for your word. And you just wait for the grace of God to come. Now let's go to the verse you all know about. If the word of God helps our faith grow, the central passage for that is Romans chapter 10. This is a verse you'll all know. Romans 10, 17. So faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. How does my faith grow? It comes by hearing. How do I hear? I hear by the word of God. As I read this verse often in life, I just never felt like it had hit me and I didn't understand it until I became a charismatic. Then I, I add these words. Faith comes by hearing God's voice. And hearing God's voice comes by the word of God. That's why God told me, meet me in my word. Why? Because when I meet him in his logos, he's going to give me a rhema. There are two Greek words for the word. And this is not completely 100% uniform, just so that you're, you're aware of this. So you can be smarter than the lady who works in your office with you. <laughs> logos and rhema generally mean, but not in all circumstances, because sometimes uh, early in Scripture they'll use Logos, and then they'll teach the same thing, and they'll use Rhema to teach the same thing about the Word. So it's just not completely uniform, but it's generally accepted. Logos is the written Word. Rhema is the private spoken Word. So you meet God in his Logos to get a rhema word in your spirit. So that's what he is saying here in verse 17 again. Faith comes by hearing a rhema. And hearing a rhema comes by the word of God. Hearing God's voice comes by the rhema that he gave you. In this verse, Logos does not appear in this verse, it's rhema. So, we read the Logos, study the Logos, outline the Logos, underline the Logos, put margins in the, in the, put notes in the margin from Marvin's preaching the Logos. And while you're listening, and while you're taking notes, and while you're sitting there reflecting on it, and while you're driving home after the sermon, a rhema comes. A rhema comes. Another word of God comes to you, and it's personal, and it's in your spirit. So as we meet God in his Logos, our faith grows through his rhema word to our ears. All right, the next thing I want to say is studying God's word brings about a change in our hearts. Studying the word of God brings about a change in our hearts. In the Old Testament, when God said something, that word went out and did something. When God spoke, his word went forth and did some action. When God said, let there be light, his word went out and there was light. His word created it. When God said, let there be sun, stars, and moons, he spoke the word, and there they were. Gee, God did not do anything with his hands. His word went out and did it. 
That's how powerful God's word is. It creates. It brings out of nothing something. In the Old Testament, often it says about the prophets, it says, the word of the Lord came to the prophet. The word of the Lord came. It doesn't say an angel came. It doesn't say God came. It doesn't say the Spirit came. It says the word of God came. God spoke to the prophet, and the word of God came to him, and it changed the prophet. It gave him a sermon in his head, and the prophet went out and delivered it to the people. The word of God goes forth and does things. So, how do I know that? We have several scriptures here. Here's 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13. If I can get there. And for this reason, we also constantly thank God that when you received from us the Logos of God's message, you accepted it, not as a word of men or somebody on the bayou, but you received it for what it really is, the logos of God, which also performs its work in you who believe. You accepted it for what it really is, the logos of God, which is at Work in you, my New American Standard says, which performs its works in you. That's what God's Word does. It goes forth. And when you receive the Logos, when you receive it, you read it and receive it as God's Word, it comes into you and does a work because God's Word always is working and doing things creatively. In Romans chapter 4, Paul tells a story of, from the Old Testament of Abraham and Sarah. God had come to Abraham and Sarah, and they had no children, and he promised them a child. And then years and years went by, and they never got the promise. They never became pregnant. They did never have this child. So God comes back and says, okay, it's going to happen. And Abraham's 99, and Sarah's about 90. So here they are, way past childbearing. But the word came. You're going to have a child. And it, Paul says, Abraham was a man of faith. Because he worshipped a God. This is important. Romans 4, 17. We worship a God who calls into being that which did not exist. God calls into being that which does not exist. That's the kind of God He is. He calls. That means He speaks. Words come out of His mouth. And when the Word goes out, it creates. So how did Sarah get pregnant? God called it into being. Same thing with the Virgin Mary when she got pregnant with Jesus. She had had no relations with a man. But the, Holy, but the angel Gabriel said, here's what's going to happen. Holy Spirit's going to come upon you and you'll find yourself pregnant. She said, let it be. Boom, I bet right then and there she's pregnant. Soon as she said the word, God's word went forth and created and since Jesus was the one in there, he's called the Word of God. It's really interesting. The Word came to her and planted a seed. It grew into the Word of God. And she became an illustration of how we work with Scripture. Take Scripture and read it. The Logos becomes a rhema to you. The rhema goes in like a seed. Now you're pregnant with a vision and a word from God. And in a few months and weeks, up out of you comes this new life. And that's how we're to work with so good. God. So good. How about this? Isaiah 55, 11. Isaiah 55, 11. Starting in verse 10, he says, For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven, and they don't go back up into the clouds, you know, the cycle of... of Moisture in the atmosphere, all right? He says, the rain and the snow come down from heaven, and they don't go back up into the clouds without 
watering the earth, making it bear and sprout and get more seeds for the sower and bread to the eater. The rain and the snow do that. They come down and they do what I intended them to do. He said, that's a picture of my word. He says, so shall my word be just like that. Go from my mouth and it will not come back to my ears until it accomplishes what I desire and until it succeeds in the manner, in the matter for which I sent it out. God says, my words go out and they do something that I intended to happen. And I'm going to send my word out and it won't come back to me and say, well, it didn't work. No, my word works. My word always works. God's word goes to you and accomplishes what he set out to do in your life. Then there's Ezekiel 37. This is the vision where Ezekiel goes out to a dry desert. And God says, Ezekiel, look out over the desert. What do you see? He said, I just see a bunch of bones. There were bones lying everywhere. But they were a symbol of the deadness of the nation of Israel. God says, I'm going to breathe new life into it. Those bones are going to jump up and turn into human beings. Those bones will jump up and have muscles and sinews and skin on them again. Because I'm going to say the word, and that's what will happen. So in Ezekiel 37, verse 4, God says, Ezekiel, prophesy over these bones. Say to the bones, you bones, hear the word of the Lord. I will cause breath to enter you that you may come to life. And you'll come alive. And you'll know I am the Lord. That's what God can do for you. You can't read. You're not motivated. Your heart feels dry. Your heart feels like a dry bone. You say, God, I'm willing to be changed if you'll change me. I'm willing for your word to come into me, blow in through me, and bring me back to life where I have a passion for you and a passion for your word. Bring these dry bones back to life. And that's what God's word does. Open it, even if you don't feel like opening it, open it and read. Open it and just sit there. Open it and say, God, you know, I don't really feel like praying. I don't really feel like reading. But I'm just going to sit here before you, and I'll do it. And if you do it, his word, which comes down from heaven, will go out and have its intended desire that he desire, that effect upon your life that you need. The exclamation on this point is Hebrews 4.12. Hebrews 4.12 says, The word of God is alive. It's powerful. It is sharper than a sword. And when the kind of sword he mentions there is the little dagger sword. The little sword that you could slice and dice with. <laughs> Everybody's going to watch the parade out. Glad to have our first glimpse. The Word of God is alive and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, the kind of small sword. And with that sword, you could fillet a fish. The writer of Hebrews says the Word of God is alive and powerful and sharper than that sword. And it's able to pierce right down and fillet between spirit and soul. It can fillet between spirit and soul or spirit and flesh. See, when you walk in the soul, you're going to be walking according to the flesh. And so you might be questioning something about your life, thinking, oh, is this right? Is this wrong? I'm trying to walk in the spirit. You know, when people get angry and hurt, even though they can claim they're walking in the spirit, they're real defensive and argumentative. And none of us can tell you straight. You're stuck in a place and we can't help you, but the Word of God can pierce right down, fillet you, and help you see, oh, this is me, it's me, I'm full of myself, instead of full of God. It can slice down and show you the difference between spirit and soul, and your thoughts and intentions in your heart. That's the power of the Word of God. 
So we come alive and we are transformed as we study the Logos, hear the Rhema, and then act upon God's Rhema word. Now, years ago, I studied under a mother and a husband and wife who were kind of like the mother and father of a lot of the healing ministry in charismatic Christianity. This is John and Paula Sanford. And John and Paula Sanford taught that when God speaks to you, he'll speak twice. And then they go back and show in Scripture how this is, this is God's way. He'll always speak twice. So if you get a word from someone, and they say, oh, I believe God wants me to tell you this. You get a word from someone, say, thank you very much. And if they text it to you, you can write it into your journal. And you can keep that word. And then you just say, okay, Lord, I got this word. Thank you. And then do nothing. <laughs> Sit still and wait because God speaks twice. Last January, Ann sent me a word. She said, Carter, I've had this word for several days. So she texted me this word. And I received it. And I was thankful. That's a nice word. And then I wrote it into my journal. And then I did nothing. Two weeks later, Ron Teal shows up in town. And Ron and I did not know each other, technically. And he sees me in the back of the room. He says, that man back there, I want you to stand up. And when I stood up, he gave the same word that Ann had given me, and God spoke twice. Now that I had it twice, I looked at it more and more and anticipated the fulfillment of that word, and I saw the fulfillment of that word this past year. God speaks twice. So be careful when someone comes to you with a word. Don't you steer away from this. Don't let that word become the diction for your life. Because look, I remember reading years ago, a woman went into the, house, went to the church on Tuesday because a guest missionary had come in on Sunday, and she's weeping before the pastors, and, and they say, what's wrong, what's wrong? She said, we got that word Sunday night that we're going to go to the mission field. I said, yeah, yeah, that's kind of an interesting word, wasn't it? What's wrong? My husband put four sale signs in the yard yesterday. You get a word, you're supposed to go to the mission field? Good. Sit still. Keep waiting. Amen. Keep waiting. Keep waiting. Wait for that second word. And then wait and see what is God doing. Don't run out and stick a for sale sign in your yard tomorrow. That's immature. That is childish. Get your word and sit on it. Get your second word and continue sitting on it. Like Cindy and I have been promised, we're going to inherit a 4,100 square foot house. We got that as a word, a word of God from a man. And look, we received it. He was giving words to everybody that night in this little house. And so we've got our recording of ours. And what have we done? Nothing. <laughs> we, what are we going to do? Yeah, nothing. <laughs> what can I do? If I'm going to inherit it, what do you do to inherit anything? Nothing. Someone else dies and they, they do something. They die and they give it to you. You do nothing. So, if you're inheriting something, remember that. Do nothing. So, we didn't go to Uncle Charlie's house who's failing in health and say, Hey, Charlie, how you doing? We came to pray for you. Uh, by the way, what's the square footage of your house? <laughs> Just curious. I, I, I don't need to know that before I pray. All right, you're going to get a lot of words. What do you do with those words? You take them before the Logos and wait to get your own rhema. And that's how we keep the charismatic movement from being immature and childish and causing my parents to look at us and say, I don't get it, Carter. <laughs> Be mature, and you are matured by the Word. That comes forth out of the breath of Amen. God. Study the Logos. Read the Logos. Love the Logos. Hear the rhema on occasion when it comes. And if anything in your heart can't line up with this, and you can't worship and love and desire the Word of God, then you tell God you're willing to be changed if He'll change you, and do nothing 
as you wait upon the grace of God to move upon your heart and bring about a change reflected in your newfound love for the Word of God. Amen? Amen. Okay. Read it. Receive it. Believe it. And speak it. Read it. Receive it. Believe it. And speak it. When you speak it, it'll go out and change things in your life. All right? He spoke the word that changed your heart. His word continues to change your soul. Now you go speak the words of eternal life, and it will change the world around you. You'll have in your life what you speak with your mouth. Well, what should I speak with my mouth? The rhemas and the logos that I've received in my heart. Speak that. Okay. Stand with me and I'll dismiss you. Years ago, I went to a conference, uh, a spiritual, this is a spiritual conference this time. No Bayou Messiahs there. Uh, it, was, <laughs> it, was, it was Bethany Church, uh, one of their men's encounter weekends. And on Saturday night, they uh, had us, we were all standing, we're all fired up, and the pastor was leading us in renouncing demonic spirits. And they had a list of 14 spirits, and under each spirit, you know, there was a list of the qualities and things that this spirit manifests in life. And so we're all reading it, and reading it, and reading it, and it's great. Oh, yeah. And I didn't think I had a demon in me anyway, so I'm with everybody, yelling it out. We got to the spirit of the Antichrist. I said, all right, ready? Let's do the spirit of the Antichrist, all right? Everybody repeat after me. And in the spirit of the Antichrist, I'm looking at the description of it. And I got, I got a little nervous. The spirit of the Antichrist goes in and creates doubt in the church, unbelief in the church, and a disrespect for the word of God, and a, a sense of judgment and critique over the word, as if the word of God is not over you, but you're over it. And that's what the spirit of the Antichrist does. When I renounced the spirit of the Antichrist, I felt something shift inside of me. I felt like something just left. And I looked back at it. I went to college and chose a major out of the flesh. I majored in philosophy so I could be smarter than all of you because that was important to me. So I told, probably when I declared my major, God in heaven went... Oh, God. <laughs> Look at Featherston. Did you see what he's majoring in? I majored in philosophy so I could beat you all up intellectually. Secondly, I wanted to be an apologist and be the next Josh McDowell. And out of, out of the Bible, I mean, out of my, master, my bachelor's degree, I went to seminary. So there I studied Greek and Hebrew and lots of theology and wrote a thesis under the great Dr. Norman Geisler, who passed away a few weeks ago. What do you think that did to me in my flesh? A philosophy major will do it to you enough. I was arrogant. I was proud. I thought I was the smartest man in the room, and I had to prove it and show it any time I got the chance. And if you were over there talking about stuff, I had to move in and, and tell you what I know about that, just so you know I was as smart as this guy you're listening to. Just ridiculous life in the flesh so that after seminary I went into the ministry so after about four or five years in the ministry I am depressed I'm in a terrible place because everything is built on my flesh spirit of the antichrist if you said anything about scripture I would think to myself oh you don't really know what you're talking about because there have been 12 books written against your position by so and so and so and so with this seminary and that seminary and it's like I knew all this stuff and I was filled with doubt if you said you know the Bible teaches this my first thought was really no my first thought was eh, I don't know you probably got the Greek word wrong I could not receive so much scripture and truth and I still struggle with it today I got a mind that I trained to be rationalistic and it's hurting me so don't do that you guys going to college don't major in philosophy <laughs> 
Let's play a lot of volleyball. And, and don't hit your head on the floor. You might have a spirit, you might have an attitude, you might have adopted something over the years. Bitterness and forgiveness will block your word. Amen. Fear and anxiety will block the rainbow word from coming. Amen. The spirit of the Antichrist and sitting in judgment over other people, it will block the word of God coming to you. Amen. So let's just pray together. Everybody join me. We're going to say a joint prayer together. Dear Heavenly Father, thanks for planting in me your very word that has birthed new life and is changing my soul into the image of your life that I possess in the Spirit. I renounce today any spirit of the Antichrist, any spirit of judgment, any spirit of fear, any spirit of doubt. I renounce these. I reject him from my mind. I ask you to grant it that the Holy Spirit would open the eyes of my heart to see the hope of my calling that I meet you in your word. I'm blessed there. I rest there. I make my nest there. And your word brings forth the effect of godliness in my life that you desire. In Jesus' name, amen. Do you have a word you want to say? Have a blessed day. Tomorrow, this is what Pastor Marvin said at the end of the first service. Tomorrow, open your Bible, spend two minutes reading it. Just start in the Psalms somewhere. Pick a psalm. Spend two minutes and then go about your day.